In this period after Brian had taken us over, as well as him trying to get us, you know, recording contracts and auditions and everything, they also got us on the BBC. Everything was done instantly. I mean, we probably had like a quick setup of the amplifiers and the drums, plugged in, ran through them like once, I would say, while the the engineer got a rough balance, and then we did them. But before that, we we used to drive like 200 miles in an old van down the M1, come into London, try and find the BBC, and then set up and do the programme, and then probably drive back to Newcastle for a gig in the evening. That's how they all were. <laughs> This week's one there is Fab. I'm Ed Chan. And I'm John Stone. Well, okay, so after we get back, we decided what's the other largest source of bootleg Beatles material? That would probably be the BBC recordings. Indeed. Now, first off, what we're using as our reference here is the latest and greatest BBC archive set from our good friend Lord Reith, the man who came up with the... Uh, de-echoed Star Club tape that we all love so much. I was going to say the man who needs to get a hobby, but I think he has one. Yeah, this serves as his hobby. (laughs) Exactly. Probably the earliest story we have heard about these tapes as being bootleg tapes was... Ten years later, Mm -hmm. turns up on the unreleased tape market, (laughs) record market. Actually, it was a record. It was called Yellow Matter Custard was the, uh, the sale name of it among people who were buying it, although there weren't many of them, right? No. And so John said, I gotta have it. I wanna have it. I wanna hear it, because he hadn't heard the thing in 10 years. And so I introduced Dave to John one night at a recording studio, and uh, John got the copy in his hand, and he said, well, I want this, and what do you want? So Dave said, well, you give me yesterday and today, the one with... um, The guys dressed as bloody. Yeah, the guys, the bloody cover. And John immediately sent someone back to his apartment and gave it to him. And I've got it in my hands here, and it says, Today from John Lennon. Ha ha! December 7th, 71. The disc Yellow Matter Custard. I got a woman glad all over. I just don't understand. Slow down, which, which is obviously a different version. Please don't ever change. A shot of rhythm and blues. I'm sure to fall. Nothing shaken but the leaves on the tree. Lonesome tears in my eyes. Everyone wants someone. I'm going to sit right down and cry over you. Crying, waiting, hoping to know her is to love her and bound by love. 
which you may or may not have had owned during uh, the course of your collecting lifetime. I believe I still have a copy of that buried somewhere in the, in my archive. John made a tape of this and sent it off to Paul, and, and he identified it as the Deco audition to Paul, and it's like, hey, we were a pretty good band, weren't we? <laughs> right. It was not the Deco audition, and in fact, the songs were from much later in general, but they were BBC session tracks. Right. And, you know, the the advantage of those is that they were in a recording studio, in effect. It was not a proper recording studio, but it was set up so that the instruments could be well recorded. And, and they loved the BBC engineers. They, they tell a number of tales about uh, how they would appreciate the quality of the engineering. Right. And it's there on tape. <laughs> there are some great versions of not only their material, but material that they played in the clubs and i think they actually learned a couple of songs for the bbc over the years but 36 songs that they performed for the bbc that never found their way onto an emi recording right also if you look at the recording dates often for their copy material that they put on their albums they would do it on the bbc first a Taste of Honey, they recorded, and then they recorded it on an album. And we get things like the John version of uh, Honey Don't. Right, yes. Ringo so, was in the band, but they hadn't handed it off to him yet. He didn't need a song yet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So the BBC story really begins on January the 10th of 1962. Brian went down to the Manchester headquarters of the BBC and picked up an application for an audition by variety department. Right. When he signed the group, he jumped onto it fast. He was trying to get the band as much exposure. I mean, it's a very short time period from when he signed them up. He had them take new photographs and uh, he was going to put them in suits pretty soon. And he got them exposure on the radio. The Liverpool fans had actually been writing to the BBC to try and get the Beatles on the radio, or so says Lewison. And I think Mona Best probably <laughs> tried it a couple of times, too. So they ended up coming to an agreement, and they were going to come and audition on February the 8th. Brian wanted them to hear all three lead vocalists, but they only gave them enough time for John and Paul. Right. Well, those days we were hearing groups of similar size day in and day out, we're spending two or three evenings a week trogging around the north looking and listening at, listening to groups in dance halls and disco, not disco clubs in those days, but clubs that became disco clubs. And there was a load of rubbish, masses of rubbish. And then out of the blue, this, this group turned up at the Playhouse at one of our audition sessions called The Beatles. Weird name and everybody sort of said, whoa, yuck and all the rest of it. But uh, they impressed me at the time so the audition consisted of Light Dreamers Do, Till There Was You, Memphis, and Hello Little Girl. It's kind of interesting that they tried to get one of their own songs out in this audition. Yeah, their songwriting had a big impact on their career. That is really the reason that they ended up with George Martin. Exactly. The publisher wanted their songs. And so had they not been songwriters, it's hard to say how things would have gone. So pretty quickly, Peter Pillbeam got back to Brian and said, yes, we'll have them down in a month's time. Although his notes are kind of interesting. I wrote down against the two vocalists, John Lennon, yes. Paul McCartney, no. So um, 
Apologies, Paul, but there it is. You did, in fact, sing on the first broadcast, so I couldn't have been that hard on you at the time. <laughs> I guess you just have to look at the whole music scene at the time as to, you know, people are always looking for musicians to sound like somebody else in a way. Is there voice stylings like what's popular now? And so apparently he felt like John's was and McCartney's was not. Yeah, his his comments on the sheet were that they are an unusual group. Not as rocky, in quotes, as most. More country and western with a tendency to play music. Now that was, in those days, high praise indeed, because there was a hell of a lot of noise came out of most of the three guitars and drum group. <laughs> so, yeah, what kind of review is that? <laughs> well, I mean, it's not a bad one, obviously. He said, we'll have them on our show. Right. Right around the same time, he had rejected Jerry and the Pacemakers, who did a similar audition. Well, they didn't have Pete Best. <laughs> yes, we must remember, Pete Best was behind the drums, and, yeah. he, and Pete would, in fact, be there for the first two Beatles BBC sessions. Yes, and it's a fascinating look at the group, because that's the group that was being pushed at that point. And there is definitely a difference between Pete Best and Ringo Starr. <laughs> Absolutely, as, as we'll discover shortly here. <laughs> so Lord Reith, right up top, he, he gives us a little bit of background. He plays uh, a bit of the uh, BBC Light Program news from March of 1962. Uh, you may want to skip this, but it's interesting from a perspective of what was the world like as the Beatles were getting ready to go and do this first show on the BBC. East German border police fired last night on a car in which an officer of the British military mission in Potsdam was returning from a tour of duty. His driver was slightly wounded. They were both handed over to the Russians. A doctor at the Potsdam hospital said tonight that the driver had been operated on but was not in danger. A British spokesman said the car was suddenly subjected to bursts of gunfire for no reason at all. Yes. Uh, you know, actually, it's kind of interesting to hear uh, how much military stuff is in it. And you think World War II had just ended 15 years earlier and things were still rough in in Europe. They just recently had Elvis Presley defending them. And <laughs> so, Indeed. So uh, that, that, it was an interesting little bit. The afternoon of the 7th of March, the Beatles went down, and, and there's some really nice pictures from Mike of them rehearsing on the 7th. Right. And then in the evening, they actually went ahead and did their recording. Number Dream Baby, which seems to be doing very well for Roy Orbison in the American charts, with Paul McCartney on vocal lead, it's the Beatles! And this is when they hired a bus to bring fans up, correct? Yes, exactly. And at the end of the session, it's when Pete Best kind of got mobbed and Mona always maintained that that was the point when the Beatles realized that Pete was the true star of the group. I can just imagine John and Paul in the back of the bus going, wow, Pete is the true star of the band. I don't think Paul would ever admit that Pete was prettier than he was. <laughs> right. It's an interesting date. <laughs> you can tell from the audience, this is not just a general picked up off the street audience who didn't know who the Beatles were. Some of these other shows, you they're perhaps a little bit less enthusiastic. 
Right. Well, I mean, there's a difference between polite applause and enthusiastic yelling, <laughs> which which these have. I mean, you can yeah, tell. Yeah, yeah. This this show, as you know, they very clearly did bring down audience members of their own. Yes. Well, and and as you expect, uh, uh, you know, of course, Liverpool to Manchester is not that far of a trip. No. So the show was aired the next day on the eighth of March. Late afternoon, early evening, the Beatles listened to it at Mona Best's house because, well, Mona had the best stereo around. <laughs> right. And they hadn't had a falling out yet. From the point of um, clash of personalities, well, probably that may be it because it, Peter was uh, did have a terrific fan club, you know, yeah. compared to the others. Too good looking, perhaps, eh? Mona was still in charge, although... One wonders what Mona's relationship with Brian was at that point in time. It would become more difficult because of uh, <laughs> circumstances. Her. Yeah. And I think that from what I've read, she tended to be forceful. And Brian was like, I signed the band. <laughs> you know, I am the manager and uh, you can help, <laughs> but you aren't in charge. But he'd do it with very politely and with an English accent. <laughs> yes. So the show itself consists of, well, it starts with Ray Peters introducing them in, in a very polite way. Right. <laughs> well, after watching it back, I, I just assume that everybody in Britain is very polite. <laughs> <laughs> then the first song is the Roy Orbison tune, Dream Baby. Oh, it's lovely. It's close to Orbison's version. He sings it very well i do have to say that having listened to most of these recordings that pete tended to play fast and the band followed along with it But everything that they did, and even songs that we are more familiar with, it was just fast. He could keep time, but not real well. <laughs> right. He could keep fast time. <laughs> Again, it just goes to show you why they took away parts of his kit in Hamburg. Yeah. He was known for his style. Some people said that other Liverpool drummers copied his style. He liked uh, to call it the Adam beat. The Adam beat. Uh, a heavy emphasis on his kick drum. And he even said that Ringo copied his style. But once you hear the difference, you'll see that, no, <laughs> I don't think Ringo really copied his style. Yeah, Darren Murphy actually made an interesting point about the Adam beat in the show where he demonstrates Ringo's various styles. He called it an almost proto-disco thing. That's cool. Who am I to disagree with Darren Murphy? <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't do that. Right. No, because so, he's right. We get another little introduction from Ray Peters. John Lennon takes the vocal lead in this rhythm and blues version of Memphis, Tennessee. It's much better than the DECA version. We do have to say that. Yes. Clearly a song in Lennon's range and his style and 
And John was much less nervous. I mean, you can hear his nerves on the DECA version. Yeah. Here, he's just going at it. Healthy information, that I cannot And that's the thing about all these shows. You know, we really want a Hamburg set from what you get off of this disc is you get a really good feeling of what they were like when they were really cooking in Hamburg. Yes, this is certainly a good version. Maybe he was more comfortable because he did have some of his audience there. Well, and it wasn't cold and it wasn't New Year's Day. <laughs> I wasn't hungover. Although, I can't so, really guarantee that. No guarantees of that. But uh, John, John was at least very clearly enjoying himself. Yeah. Somebody could have been pouring white wine. <laughs> so the, the, then we get more of our friend Ray Peters, and uh, this is followed their last song of the evening, Please Mr. Postman, which, you know, we're all used to Ringo's perfect drumming on it. Well, well Pete is not quite so good. No, and it, it's faster, and there's not a whole lot of finesse in, in this version. Um, so... This is a clear illustration of the difference between the two drummers. And it's not just that it's not like the Beatles version. It's not at all like the Marvelettes version. <laughs> right. It's just slightly off. Yeah. Not the best. Well, it was best, but not <laughs> the best. But um, boom. Yes. <laughs> All right. That's the way Pete would have played it. But um, <laughs> so they did well enough on that first show that they did get invited back. Right. And in fact, they would be invited back 50, 51 more times, but <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> not based strictly on that first performance. No. Their next performance was in June, and then they won't go back until after Ringo came on. Yeah, exactly. And so the name of the show was Teenager's Turn. Here we go. <laughs> right. That is also a very 1962 kind of thing. Yes. Although they, w- they would drop the Teenager's Turn by the next time the Beatles actually appear on the show. Things were certainly changing at the time. I always realized that in listening to the BBC recordings, one aspect of the Beatles story, which is completely different from America. And that is, you know, they were playing things on the radio and British teenagers exposure to rock and roll was very limited. There was a show here and a show there, and that was it. And speaking of which, uh, the Beatles playing, please, Mr. Postman, that was the first time a Motown song had been played on the BBC. And there you go. And so the people who were tuning in and listening to this stuff were being introduced to music that they didn't know because they hadn't heard a lot of this stuff. And so the Beatles were the band basically that introduced this to Britain. Well, that wasn't the case in the United States. It was all about Lennon McCartney for the most part and a few other things, but that's the same thing that we hear about the Beatles as they were growing up. It's like you listen to what's in front of you, <laughs> right? You, you know, you, you may want to, you may want to look for things. And of course, right about this time was when 
the the short way started picking up lots more rock and roll from other places, from Germany and from France and from miscellaneous sites around the globe. So so British kids were at least starting to get some other sources for their music. Right. And I think that introducing a lot of these songs helped create what was, became known as Mercy Beat because they were playing the songs in their style. Yeah. So... So they recorded it on the 11th of June, and it was aired on the 15th of June, 1962. Good old Ray Peters, he's back again. Right. He, he introduces them, and they go into one of their own songs. Ask me why. It's not very good. It has its charms. Ask me why. I say I love you, and I'm always thinking of you. Uh, that, that again you have pete behind the drum so it can only be so good well that's it i'm not implying that the front three weren't good but the the song itself pete tended to uh play things a little fast so the whole you know i love you it just is it's fast and it, it, there's no finesse to this at all Again, as we said before, uh, with Please Mr. Postman, it's just wrong. Right. right. It's also interesting to realize that um, uh, this recording was only five days after their audition at EMI. You put this whole thing in context. You you had DECA, then you had Brian going and picking up the form and submitting it just what is essentially a week later. And then just a month later, you had the, uh, the first audition. And then a month after that, well, here they are on the radio. Yeah. There are a couple of versions of Ask Me Why coming up on which Ringo plays, and it's day and night. So if they would have come to me, I would have said, yeah, you need to get rid of Pete. <laughs> but uh, the way I look at it, you know, just let it lie now. Except what? for the reports in the papers, and that, you know, it gets me a bit niggled at times. They keep, keep going and having a go at you, do they? Yeah, you know. Well, what, do, what do they say mainly? Well, you know, drummer wasn't too good, the beat wasn't so hot, you know. Was... And and George Martin was producing them in the studio at that time. No, no get-back questions here. <laughs> right. Every real producer was telling them that Pete just wasn't it. Yeah. And when you go through the whole thing of... Bert Camford in, in uh, Germany and the DECA people. And I mean, they were all like, Pete doesn't really cut it. You know, I mean, they, they dealt with it because he was the member of the band, but they, you know, they tended to take away his symbols and here's a snare and a kick. (laughs) Pete actually does do better in the next two songs that they play here. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not as good as Ringo, but of course, one of these, this is the only version of it we get. Yeah, that's true. But Best of Be Mucho is way too fast. Okay. So next up, after more of Ray Peters, and it should be noted that you know most of these little talky bits with Ray Peters are really just kind of, well, here's this band called the Beatles, or we've had them on once before, and now they're back again. He's not really saying much, and he's not talking to them. No, he's introducing songs and just being the guy who leads it in. But he's not pushing the band's career further. We do see the beginnings of those sorts of 
interviews as well shortly here. But uh, yeah, so so they go into Bazzini Musho. You know, I think I like it a little bit better than you do. I think Pete does a decent job, if not a great one. Yeah. Um, hmm. I'd almost say that the uh, Deca version was better than this, but. I, they're close. Despite the fact that he wasn't great, Pete wasn't the biggest problem in the Deca audition. No. John and Paul were both nerve stricken, and then, you know, clams were coming in, fingers were sticky. Yeah. Then the last song on the show, which Mal Evans would frequently say was one of his favorite covers that they did back in the day A Wonderful Picture of You. Yeah. Which is kind of country, and George was a big fan of uh, Joe Brown. And Joe Brown would stay a friend of George's all the way through, and of course he shows up at the end of the concert for George. Right, and does a Devil of the Deep Blue Sea, which I love. So There's a famous picture of George with Joe Brown's guitar. Yeah. Big old leather strap, and you know that was a highlight of George's career at that point. <laughs> One other thing we should note, so in their audition, they were still in their leathers. The March show, the first Here We Go, was really among the first times they were breaking out the suits. <laughs> for the radio. For the radio, yep. John probably loosened the sigh for that. But. <laughs> we move on to a show that was lost until last year. This is Ringo's first show with the Beatles on the BBC, recorded on the 25th of October aired on the 26th yes their third straight here we go and at this point it is actually called here we go the teenager's turn has been dropped from the title ah their single was climbing up the charts and so it starts with lord wreath gives us a little taste of peter and the wolf from the trad lads which is kind of funny Was that a comment on the fact that Pete wasn't there anymore and the wolves had eaten him up? <laughs> there you go. The wolf had gotten him between yeah. June and October. Right. <laughs> Brian Epstein as the wolf. <laughs> so. And Ray Peters is still there and he's still doing his uh, introduction duties. But this time they start with Love Me Do. A good version of Love Me Do. Yeah. Love, love me. quite possibly better than the one on record either of the ones on record it is it's just more enthusiastic it's it's their single they do a great version good harmonies there are a couple of places where john's harmonica is a little not quite on but it's a good version well i mean doing it live with no overdubs the harmonica still must have been kind of difficult yeah i i would think so and you know he didn't have one of those bob dylan style necklaces <laughs> yeah he had, he had to pick it up and actually play it then that wasn't the harp he was playing it was actually a harmonica right i believe yes okay nonetheless john was very busy and at least paul <laughs> was used to doing his love me do vocal in the middle there he wasn't quite so nervous as he was on the record right he'd had a few months to get it down <laughs> and this is really one of the few bits of promotion they would actually get to do for love me do because well 
they would be in Germany for much of the rest of the time. Yes. And they didn't really like that, that they were going back to Germany. Yeah. I mean, they had two more trips. They had a November trip and they had a December trip. Right. But they weren't happy because they were, it's like, we should be promoting this record and they're going to be out of the country. But Epstein was committed to honoring whatever contract he He'd already made. Yeah. But they were very clearly looking for bigger and better things. And you can hear it in the way they're doing these performances. Yeah. Must have been really a great feeling for them, you know, to go, oh my gosh, they've gone beyond just hoping to make that little bit of plastic to, wow, this bit of plastic could actually do something. (laughs) And that there's an LP on the horizon. Right. And please, please be will be recorded in November. So yeah. Love me do is followed by yet again, more Ray Peters and a really nice version of taste of honey. I've always thought that the please, please me version was marred a little bit because of John's cold. You can hear it in the do, 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 do's. Yeah. It's much smoother. It's much cleaner here. Yes, it is. It's interesting in that on this version Paul has attempted another verse that is not on the Parlophone version. But he messes it up. Because he repeats the same line twice. And he actually does that same verse in one of the Hamburg versions, but not both of them. Ah. So on the Star Club tape, on one of them, he, he actually does the extra verse. Well, hopefully he learned the, the lyrics. Though other lips may cling to mine, I know they'll never bring to mine. A taste of honey, a taste much sweeter than wine. Another recording, which I would say, I actually think I prefer to the Please Please Me version. Yeah, it's good. And no problems with Ringo's drumming. Not at all. You can hear how things have changed just by adding Ringo. I like Ringo. (laughs) Our guests for this evening also wrote the flip side of their new record Whilst they were in Germany, by the way And they tell me that all their letters home were signed simply The Beatles, P.S. I love you Yes, and a very, very good version It's really close to the record As I write this letter Send my love to you Remember that I'll always this whole show is a really good Beatles performance. Yeah, I agree. When you think that, you know, the last time they were on the BBC, you had a iffy version of Ask Me Why and Best of Me Mucho Too Fast. And to now have this show, which is pretty outstanding, shows you the, the difference. Ringo was the key. Yeah. This is then followed by a radio interview which first came to us, uh, it was on a flexi disc in Mark Lewison's uh, The Beatles Live way back when. Yep, I played that. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. This is really essentially their first 
BBC interview. When you say you're going away, that leads us on to another question. Now, where are you going? Germany, Hamburg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you have... Two weeks. Standing in great engagements over there, haven't you? At... Well, the boys have been there quite a lot, you know, and I've been there with other groups, but this is the first time I've been there with the Beatles. Right. It was it was at the hospital, though, and I think the, the range was very limited. It was, was very small, yes. It was really just meant for the patients in the hospital, I think. Mm-hmm. And we've just been going backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. You're not dizzy at all. Well, yes, actually, yes. Yes, yes. It's my, it's my left leg, you know, the walk. <laughs> it makes you think of get back again. Not seriously sick kids, just broken legs and things. <laughs> That's exactly right. We want you to play the sick people. <laughs> and Lord Reese has included uh, a couple of bits, which also came to us last year, from uh, a TV appearance that, on People and Places that the Beatles had uh, done earlier in the year. There were two million watching that, people in places that we did, we heard afterwards. We get a little bit of Twist and Shout, a little bit of Taste of Honey, a little bit of another, some other guy, which is um, a slower version. And then a little bit of Love Me Do, where there's still some question whether Ringo is trying to imitate Pete's skip beat in the middle. You think that he just missed a little uh, minuscule of a beat there, and that's kind of what's going on. I always just consider that a, f- a flub and not an intentional thing. It sounds kind of like what Pete was uh, maybe trying to do on Love Me Do, but uh, but it still makes no sense why Ringo would attempt to do that on this television appearance. Plus, the record was already recorded. <laughs> yeah, there you mm-hmm. go. Interesting bits out of this interview. They ask George about playing lead guitar, and George says, well, that's lead as opposed to rhythm, you know, jing, jing, jing. Yeah, right. Then they're asked, does that mean you're the leader of the group? And it's like... There's no question both George and Paul say, no, that's John. John is the leader. And John didn't need to say it because he was the leader. (laughs) Exactly. It's really an interesting interview. Even to this limited audience, they were kind of nervous. Do you find it nerve-wracking doing this now? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure the whole idea of being interviewed was very new. (laughs) Was foreign Uh, to them. And then... And then the fact that they brought in this 17-year-old kid to come and talk to them. It's like, oh, well, you're about their age. You, you go and talk to them. <laughs> well, now I'd like to introduce, if I may, a young disc jockey who uh, helps us out with programs at Cleaver and Catterbridge Hospitals. His name is Malcolm Threadgill. He's 16 years old. And I'm sure you'd like to ask some questions from the teenage point of view, Malcolm. Well, I think I recall reading that it was the, the young man who actually wanted the Beatles on. He was a fan. And he, he kind of brought, brought him out. I don't think anybody assigned him. You can do this. It's not actually going to go out over the radio, but it's going out over the pretend radio. Right. But, I mean, they still recorded it. And like you say, thankfully, we still have it. Amazing. I mean, and, and I'm sure that in the coming 10 years, there'll be like, other things pop up. You go, my gosh. Well, you, know. you look at you look at what we've gotten just in the last 18 months stuff that we thought had been gone forever there was Ringo's first radio show with the Beatles there was this people in places appearance and then there's that EMI the please please me for me to you performance which we just got 
a couple weeks back, which was apparently recorded for overseas broadcast. It's just amazing to me. I think I was most blown away when I heard the recording of John and the Quarrymen playing on the day he met Paul McCartney. I mean, oh my gosh, really? You actually have that on tape. And it lasted that long. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get that whole series of songs, you know, in spite of all the danger and those early, early things. And you think that they survived somehow in somebody's garage. You look at what was going on. The Beatles weren't so big that people would have been quite taping them off the air and keeping the tapes to listen to for, for future use. It's just, oh, well, you know, I'm going to tape some radio, or, or I, I tape the teenage show every week if I have enough tape to do so. Right. And it lives. Uh, <laughs> absolutely amazing. We go to the next show. The years flipped to 1963. Right. On the 16th of January, another Here We Go and it would be aired uh, a little over a week later on the 25th. You know, the fact that it's recorded on January 16th, they uh, play the new single, which is Please Please Me, and ask me why. But they did what I was talking about, was they recorded Chains. That's what opens the show. And uh, they were going to record it a month later on the Please Please Me album. One other thing, they did frequently record additional songs for the BBC that we are probably not ever going to get because, well, they didn't air, so the BBC has long since disposed of those tapes. What I really would have liked to have heard was uh, they did a version of Sheila. That's George's, isn't it? That's George's, yeah. The Beatles loved to do Buddy Holly songs, but very rarely did they go overboard with it. You know, the ah, ha, ah, ah, ha, ah, ah, oh kind right. of thing and the buddy holly song that wasn't sheila the whole thing is just about doing the buddy holly bits <laughs> right it, it's sad that that doesn't exist but i mean again maybe it does maybe someone swept up the tape and <laughs> we've got 10 years <laughs> there's stuff out there someone's gonna find a way to reach out and pull up sound waves from the past <laughs> right little wormholes that's what the james webb telescope is about is <laughs> Looking for old Beatles performances. Well, the 25th of January. In fact, today is the 25th of January. So that was 59 years ago that this show went out. Wow. Right after the Civil War. That was, <laughs> um, yeah, that's old. It's a great version of Please Please Me. Not as good as the studio version, but it is a great version of Please Please Me. And a much better version of Ask Me Why. Please Please Me without a harmonica has always been kind of sound weird to me. And the chains is really good. Another thing you get off of the songs they did here was just how much they loved the girl groups. Yeah. And that's a real love because they were writing their own girl group songs as, as late as 64. Tell me why. And they really seem to have graduated from teenagers turn from here we go because, well, the very next day, as a matter of fact, recorded on the 22nd of January and aired on the 26th of January, they appeared on the next higher show up. Saturday Club. Right. 
for kids and pop fans, it was that one highlight in the week every Saturday morning. So that made it special, made it important. BBC, whether they intended to or not, were clearly getting behind the group on the rise. That certainly was a big help in launching the band. No More Ray Peters, a name which will become very familiar to us as we go through these shows in the forthcoming weeks. Brian Matthews. Brian Matthews. Brian Bathtubes, as John Lennon liked to refer to. <laughs> right. He attempted to meet their humor with responses to it. So the interview style, not even interview, it's just the way they were handled completely changes. They're more chatting than they are. Here's the band. Exactly. So the show starts out with a tremendous version of Some Other Guy. Right. One of my favorite songs from that era. It's better than the Granada Cavern version, and it's different from the one that we just heard the excerpt from on People and Places here. Yeah. Uh, this is probably my favorite of the Lennon vocals on the versions we have of this song. Yeah, it's a shame that that song never made it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I really wish they found a, a place to record it. Yeah. And they love the song. Well, again, in Get Back, John goes to it at least twice. Yeah. One of the times was when the organ, and you bring out the organ, and he, he can't uh, help but go into Some Other Guy. Right. The beginning of Some Other Guy becomes the beginning of Instant Karma. And this is a guy called Richie Barrett, who's also a songwriter. I think he's still around, but... I don't know what he's doing. This is some of the guy. You'll notice the intro is slightly like Instant Karma. It gets reused a whole bunch. I mean, John called it the uh, son of what did I say? <laughs> right. Um, you know, more often than not, we do things on you that well. And we show you that one wish may have been borrowed from another record, an older record. Uh, maybe you could uh, explain this one a bit. Well, yeah, I brought four singles. This is one of them. Always the goalies, as it were. This is a, a early 60s record by Bobby Parker called Watch Your Step, which I call some of what did, what did I Say. And there was a great record, What Did I Say, by Ray Charles, which is the first electric piano I ever heard on tape, because nobody could work out what it was on record. And then shortly after, I mean, it could have been weird because it all blends in, but this is the next move after What Did I Say, which was Watch Your Step. The next thing you recognize, because I've used it, or the Beatles have used it to in various forms. Recently, I heard in this last year the Almond Brothers used them as great as it was, but then so much is cool. And here was some of my favorite records. Which, you know, the Beatles would then adapt in various fashions through 65 and 66. Yeah. I think Leonard once said that he was always trying to write that song so that most of his songs kind of started with that <laughs> some of the guy this is another what i call son of what did i say son of what your step this performance is amongst my favorites that they did for the bbc i would agree with that at the moment the majority of the beatles fans are in their hometown of liverpool and i have a very strong suspicion it won't be long before they're all over the country meanwhile here's a request from Liverpool uh, for the number which started it all for the Beatles, Love Me Do. It's an okay version. It's good. It's kind of old hat to them by this point, I think. Right. It's, it's their old single. <laughs> Even though it's only a couple of months old, it's their old single. Please Please Me is what they uh It's what, it, what they're there to promote. Now, unfortunately, we only have some of it. Yeah. You know, at least we can hear what it sounded like. And we know enough after hearing all these different versions that we can kind of piece it together in our heads. Yeah. Then 
Keep Your Hands Off My Baby, another great song. Uh, I've always wondered why they didn't do The Locomotion. They're going to play a Little Eva song. Why didn't they play the big hit? Yeah, I suppose. Beatles playing Goffin and King, you you can't beat that. Yeah, right. That's one of the people they emulated a lot. Was that They liked Goffin and King. The story in Carol King's book is that when she met John and Paul in like a party in 64, Paul said to her, you know, we always wanted to be the Goffin and King of England. And then her response was, you mean you wanted to be an, an old Jewish married couple? <laughs> well, they weren't that old in 64, but... It's a joke. Yeah, right. Uh, just in case people didn't know. Although apparently John was a little bit scared of her because she also says that John just didn't really want to respond to her and he, he went into wisecrack mode. And they were to hook up later in the 70s and actually spend an evening at the Dakota and, and John admitted that. Or, you know, huh. so says Carol King. <laughs> right. That's interesting. That's followed by a Beautiful Dreamer. Not my favorite song. I nice set uh, the love me do is the only low spot and it's not bad it's just they right. seem to have uh, had enough of it well you know it's certainly an illustration of the width of their repertoire they played all sorts of stuff a taste of honey on the first album and until there was you on their second and they had a, a wide range so and then on that same day they also recorded another version of aspie why which would air on the 29th of january nice enough Right. I would like to ask you why. Please, I love you. That was for a different show. Uh, yeah, that was for the talent spot. You would think in some ways that the BBC would keep some of these tapes and rather than have them come into the studio again and record something for the 12th time, they could just go, and here's this. <laughs> Well, I mean, they would on occasion, but I don't know if that became a musician's union. That's the whole reason that we're so fortunate to have all these BBC tapes of the Beatles and the Stones and the Who, because there was only so much needle time allowed. Right. And so you want to get your song played on the BBC, you got to come down and play it. Now, whether that applied to a recording which was already made in the BBC... I don't know. I was just being like that cop and get back. Can't they just do it later? <laughs> At this point in 1963, they're on their theater tours, right? Right. Um, is this the Helen Shapiro tour? Uh, yeah, the Helen Shapiro tour. and The Roy Orbison tour was also right around here, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought that was later on. Yeah, I think it was a little bit later on, but but they're they're doing lots of touring for sure. One of these shows, they went down to Manchester. They had to rehearse for a radio show in the afternoon, then do a TV show, then come back and play the radio show in the evening. Busy lads. Ringo to Ron Howard in the Eight Days a Week film says that, and well, that is actually what they did at least on one day here. Yeah, and I think McCartney referred to several times about how hard they worked. My question is. Mal must have been working his arse off. Right. Even if they didn't have to bring the amps with them, you got to have to get the equipment all packed up, load it, unload it, unload it, load it, unload it again. All for minimum wage. 
all in you know a handful of minutes here. Right. Their next appearance is the sixth of March, aired on the twelfth of March. Here we go. Uh, on another, here we go. Right. We get a little bit more of the trad lads. Big Butter and Eggman. Now, did John get influenced by that? <laughs> Four young men from Liverpool paying their fourth visit to the show. And this must surely be one of the most dynamic groups in the country today. So stand by now as we bring you the sound of the Beatles. Uh, we get Misery. An original. Fine version, yeah. In fact, I think they play originals on this whole show. Do you want to know our secrets? They did not skimp on George vocals. No, you know... Uh, Particularly in the early band, George was definitely part of the lineup. I mean, he sang a lot of stuff, and, you know, he wasn't second banana. A number one hit, and that's what we like to see. But what we like to hear, of course, is, please, please me. Yeah, who is this Ray Peters? I don't have his albums. He's a very talky kind of guy. He just keeps interrupting the Beatles. But yeah, so they do Please Please Me, which again, is their single? It's a good version. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's probably not quite as good as the previous one, but but it's a good version. I mean, you know, they can't all be exactly the same, so. Right. They're gaining in confidence. These aren't the first radio shows. In fact, now they've got quite a few under their belt. Getting to be old hands at it. And, and you can see the, the BBC likes what they do. And, and you can see, in fact, why shortly they would be given their own series. Yes, absolutely. But not this week. <laughs> we, will, we will come to that soon enough. But right around that time is when the Please Please Me album came out. And shortly after that, there'll be For Me To You. So all that was going on. Right in, around here, yep. Right. Then, then we get some other uh, incidental music, I guess we could call it. Warmed Over Kisses from Ben Richmond and the NDO. Waltz <laughs> and Jazz Time from the Northern Dance Orchestra. Oh, NDO, Northern Dance Orchestra. There you go. <laughs> and uh, a song called Peoria from the Trad Lads. Right. Wrapped around a Beatles show. Then they're back on Saturday Club. And this was actually aired live on the 16th of March, 1963. Ah, uh, yes. We get much more of them actually chatting to the hosts here. And this is probably really where the higher-ups of the BBC heard this show. And it's like, oh, these guys can carry a show. Yeah. I'm beginning to see why nobody can live on the same stage with this outfit. So if Diz Disley, George Melly, or uh, who is it, Rolf Harris to listen this morning, they've got to introduce these boys at the Albert Hall on April the 18th, and good luck to you, mate. Yeah, uh, funny, and I think of George Martin's comment about, well, I liked them, so I thought other people would like them as well. And that was it. They had a, their personalities were just charged and great, and so this is the demonstration of... You know, they're funny and personable. This was everything. And in fact, we're we're going to talk with Jem Roberts, who has written a book called Fab Fools, explicitly about the Beatles in comedy. And he can tell us more about how their radio appearances played into that. Yeah, you'll learn a lot about George Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the live Saturday Club, it started with Sawyer standing there. Again, like the album, there, there's no beating that as an opening song. Yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, the, the surprise is Misery. Again, a lot of people don't know that one. I, I really like the song, but 
uh, it's not a well-known song. And haven't you written the new one for Kenny Lynch? Kenny Lynch, yes. I don't know when it's out, but it's, it's out now. Why? Buy it. Why yeah. didn't you keep it for yourself? It's a great number. Well, you know, he's a friend of ours, Kenny. Oh. Well, he's only uh, we met him on a, the Helen Shapiro tour. Isn't I see. It? But you do um, you sing this number yourselves? We've we've done it on our LP. Out <laughs> next week. Yeah. All right. Well, let's hear it right now. Misery. Then too much monkey business. This one and the next one are two of my big fave John Lennon songs that should have been on an album. Too much monkey business. Don't want you by the race to get away, leave me. talking about you that's a great great song and those two together they work so well i mean john's vocal is just tremendous yeah well we we, we had paul then we had three john vocals right i guess paul gets to open and close the show so john gets everything in the middle (laughs) no george this show though then paul gets the screamers yeah I, i think if i was making my bbc live album those two definitely would be included monkey business to talk about you then more chat than another version of please please me they've gotten very consistent with the please please me by this point it sounds a lot like not the partial one but the one before that yeah but that's fine i mean you know that's what they're trying to do as as mentioned no needle time so we want the performance to sound as close to the record as we can possibly make it yeah makes sense then it closes out with the hippie hippie shake paul doing chan romero he loves that song. He does. I mean, he he has done it recently. He opened his Liverpool show with Hippie Hippie Shake. Yeah. You know, I always thought that this song just had a little Richard feel, that screaming kind of vocal. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't play it more. I think even on the radio, they were kind of saying, well, how many covers do we want to do and how many originals do we want to do? They're starting to want to play more originals on the radio. Yeah. The last uh, full show we've got here, which is actually not a Beatles show, it's an easy beat, uh, recorded the 3rd of April, aired the 7th of April. We've got Jerry Marsden talking to Brian Matthew. So I guess the BBC finally allowed Jerry and the Pacemakers onto the show. Right. Jerry Marsden had already had a number one with How Do You Do It. Well, and, and in fact, he talks about How Do You Do It. He, he doesn't mention that the Beatles had rejected it, but uh, he does talk about the record right he and his band had gained some credibility then brian asks well you know what about the beatles new record where's that gonna go what do you think is it gonna go to number one and jerry just kind of plays coy a little bit (laughs) and then we get a version of for me to you yeah a very nice version which is the new single the new single exactly then we get a couple of little clips to end out the disc here now, uh, well, the difference then, I'd say, you know, is that this has got nowhere near the impact, no. you know, commercial impact, how do you do it, has got, I mean, that's obviously, you know, one of these records that just goes bang right into the charts, you know, actually, I love Cleo Lane's voice, marvellous, you know, and the, the idea behind the song, you know, the lyrics and things, great, but I just don't think it's got the impact, you know, to, right. to be a really big hit. Could be, you're right. Well, I love her voice, and I love the tune, Sneaky Mitch Murray, <laughs> but, um, but 
the back end, it sounds, the arrangement, you know, it sounds like the, the tone between making a commercial and giving her a good backing. Yes. Well, you can have good commercial backing, but, you know, da 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 So you flogged to death. You know, yeah. The voice, the voice. <laughs> <laughs> you should take a thingy. Anyway, we'll, we'll play our last. John doesn't like any of the records. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> uh, then we get uh, clips from various uh, BBC shows, about various hosts talking about what they thought of the Beatles back then. We get Peter Pilbeam, Bernie Andrews talking about Saturday Club, Brian Matthews talking about Saturday Club, and Brian Matthews just generally talking about the Beatles and how they appeared to him at the time. Right. We get a couple more songs. We get... Uh, an alternate source of a beautiful dreamer and an alternate source of keep your hands off my baby. If, if you don't think the one that uh, Lord Reith included was the best one, well, here's, here's the second best. <laughs> I think it actually probably has to do with there's little bits, which sound better in one or the other. And he didn't want to just edit it all together. If I had to guess, he doesn't say, but yeah, makes sense. Then the disc closes as it opened with a bit of news. It closes with a bit of news. And as we hear about the winter of 1962. Yeah, I don't know why he jumped back, but. It's the same winter. I mean, you know, we, we've gone through late 62 into early 63. The only things that aren't from that winter would be the very early shows, the two Pete shows. Right. Because by the time Ringo got there, it was already the winter of 62. Keep in mind that winter was pretty horrendous in fact that january apparently was like the coldest it had been in decades it was a rough winter the blizzard which has covered southern england thickly with snow is now known to have caused the deaths of at least four people that is the infamous the van broke down and they had to lie on top of each other and make a beetle sandwich <laughs> tour right you pick one news story which is not military related it probably would be the the winter of 1962 yeah, I guess so. So so that takes us through volume one. There are 22 more CDs. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's amazing. The, the first so-called complete version of BBC tapes was like nine discs, ten discs. And now we're into the 20s. Now, of course, not all of these are live Beatle appearances, you know, not this sort of thing. Uh, some of the later shows, you know, we get various interviews that they did for the White Album and so on and so forth. Right. Some of those are quite interesting, some of those interviews. We'll cover them. And, and then the last disc is a DVD with the, their TV appearances on it. We'll get to that sometime in 2023. <laughs> We're not expecting to get through this uh, anytime soon here. <laughs> right, right, right. There's, there'll be other things coming. A lot of people have been asking about BBC, and so it's like, well, now seems at least a good time since we don't we don't have anything immediately pressing us to at least start this series. So there you go. It's not going to be in order because we'll be we'll have other shows. No, we're, we're not spending the first half of 2022 doing BBC. Like <laughs> you say, I I would expect we're looking at two, maybe even two plus years to get through all of this uh, collection. Right. By which time Lord Reith will have come out with the 2023 version and we'll have to start all over again, right? Bastard. <laughs> You're the one who said there's got to be stuff in people's garage somewhere. <laughs> right. And I really do hope we get as much as we possibly can. And then somebody's got to master it. And oh gosh. As we said before, you know, you, 
through our adult lifetimes, we've seen this go from, oh, there's just a handful of songs. It really was just that one disc worth of stuff that John Lennon found on Yellow Matter Custard because there wasn't much more of the BBC sessions that came out during the 70s era of bootlegs. Oh, you know, there was a period of time when, you know, you'd buy an album and it would have cheese and onions on it or L.S. Bumblebee or I think I have a bootleg that has a song by The Residents. It just kind of amazes me that, you know, there was a big long period. And of course, the BBC did their thing. They went out and said, whoever has these tapes, we'll pay you and we'll pay you well for them. But the first copies of these things that we heard and that were aired as specials through the 80s and 90s, in general, weren't all that good sounding. Yeah. Well, their sources may have been bad, too. There's just a handful of tapes that the BBC has actually preserved. Yeah original masters but and the fact that over the next two decades we're to the point that we have almost all of this set it just it still just kind of stuns me yeah well and no doubt based on past history there'll be more to come indeed so okay let's see so we're, we're not going to move on to volume two next week we've got ken womack coming to join us and we're going to talk about mal evans and we're going to talk about george martin did George Martin produce the Get Back Sessions? Tell us, Ken. <laughs> Prepare. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That should be a Me really too. great chat. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. So we'll be, we'll be with you next week with Ken Womack, and then we'll see where we are in two weeks. Yes. <laughs> we just decide this as we go along. So, <laughs> Well, we didn't decide that. We had to book Ken. Ken, Ken's a very busy guy, and in fact, we, we really don't want to take his time away from writing the Mal Evans book. We want that sooner, but he does have a release date already, so and he's not going to push it back. That's great. I'm looking forward to that. He's- All right. Thanks, everybody. We will talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California. It's a very great pleasure for us this evening to say hello to an up-and-coming Merseyside group, the Beatles. And I know their names, and I'm going to try and put faces to them now. You're John Lennon, aren't you? Yes, that's right. What do you do in the group, John? I play harmonica, rhythm, guitar, and vocal. Mm-hmm. That's what they call it, isn't it? Harmonica, rhythm, guitar, and vocal. Then there's Paul McCartney, that's you. Yeah, that's me, yeah. And what do you do? Play bass, guitar, and uh, sing, (laughs) I think. Oh, that's that's what they say. Quite apart from being vocal. Yeah, well, yes, yeah. yes. Then there's George Harrison. Mm, how do you do? How do you do? Mm. What, what's your job? Uh, lead guitar and sort of singing. Mm-hmm. By playing lead guitar, does that mean you're sort of leader of the group, or are no, you? No, no, just. Well, you see, the other guitars, the rhythm. Yeah. Ting, ting, so ting. It's solo yeah. guitar, you see. John and is, in fact, the leader of the group.
yeah. I don't know whether we caught that or not, but uh, I hope it went in. Yeah. And over in the background here, and also in the background of the group, but making a lot of noise, is Ringo Starr. Hello. You're new to the group, aren't you? Yes, um, nine weeks now. Mm -hmm. uh, were you in on the act when the recording was made? Of yes, I'm on the record. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going.